whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special That UFO Roundtable. Very excited for this one. This show is going out early in February and what a way to kick off February for the podcast. Lou Elizondo should have just had his podcast released a couple of days ago and if you've listened to that already, fantastic. If you haven't, go and check it out. However, very much been looking forward to this roundtable as well. Uh, we've got two former guests uh, from the podcast. We actually have the second ever guest on the podcast, Sean Cahill, making his triumphant return. Sean, welcome to the pod again. Thank you, Andy. It's good to be here. Very good to have you on. And just for anyone who is going to listen to this and ask me in the future, yes, it is Sean who records the outro. It's called Goblin Problems. It's at Minty Hyperspace on Twitter, <laughs> but it's Minty Hyperspace also on YouTube as well. It is very good. Yes, I will send you the full MP3 if you get in touch with me, as many of you have done. Um, and I don't think he's doing an acoustic performance on this show, maybe in the future, folks. Um <laughs> Also, uh, returning to the podcast for the second ever appearance, uh, Jeremy McGowan. Uh, Jeremy, I believe you done one of, if not your first ever interview on my podcast back in back in the summer last year. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild trip ever since then, man. I don't uh, I don't know if you cursed me or if you uh, you put me on the right track, but uh, thank you. Either no, way, it's uh, it's, it's, it's been a hell of a trip. It's amazing, and like not to divulge the details, but I remember speaking to you just before we hit record on that first podcast, and you were dipping your toe in the water, and you were still almost unsure whether, like, you know, was this the right thing to do and to talk about, and you'd just come off unidentified, and before we know it, you're, you know, you're almost working for the U.S. government covertly. It sounds like you know, so <laughs> Jesus, yeah, you know, I, I still feel like I'm dipping my toe in the water. I mean, this is, this is a deep ocean, man. So I don't, uh, I don't even know how to judge where I'm at yet. Uh, people are but, going to be writing down what you say now. If you say deep ocean, people are going to mention oceans already. He's talking about uh, USOs. That's that uh, is so that's that's maybe something <laughs> to get into later on. And also on the podcast um, as regular co-host slash guest duties tonight for Dan. Dan, you okay tonight? I'm great. It's nice to uh, finally meet uh, Jeremy and Sean. Well, or I should say, speak to them on here. Uh, Sean and I speak <laughs> often, but uh, ne never on a podcast till now. Yeah, and I think it's for anyone who's downloaded the podcast or seen the picture on Twitter, uh, the that UFO roundtable Dan designed very specifically for this episode. The artwork is something that gets a lot of attention for Dan, and I don't think it gets enough credit for it, but I know Jeremy and, and Sean have been really appreciative of, of those efforts. Jeremy was talking about it before we even hit record, so... Absolutely. Dan's been incredibly um, instrumental in, in helping us get out the word, especially in, in not only in his, his <laughs> look at you already, already blushing. We're going to lose him for 20 <laughs> minutes here if I'm too nice to him. But his artwork obviously speaks for his, for itself. And and what he's done with, between the Tic Tac uh, decals and, and 
uh, and embroidery patches and, and, and what he's done for Jeremy's Osiris, just bringing, really bringing it to life. I look forward to really talking about some of this, the interesting synchronicities that surrounded it in ideas and locations and things. I know Dan was pretty, uh, pretty uh, blown away by some of the details we kept coming across, but um, it's just been really neat. If, if I can throw in really quick, um, this has been an organic process, whether the way that we met, the way that Dan and I met, Jeremy and, and us, and I just want to say that you two guys, um, people aren't going to ever understand how pivotal you are I mean, you're, you're often before my daily coffee sometimes. You're such good friends. We talk almost every day. And it's because you guys have so much integrity and so much heart. And at every turn that you've had an opportunity to, to do the right thing and to be authentic in, in, this, in this business, which unfortunately, I think we're all realizing this is a business of, of disclosure for a lot of people. Um, it's not just getting out there and having a conversation for some folks, but you guys at all turns have just impressed me so much with your, your acumen, your integrity, and, and the way that you're willing to be authentic. So I just want to say thank you for making it easy for, for me and Jeremy to come out here and talk. No, thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I won't edit that out of the podcast either. And there's there's <laughs> so much to get through. I don't want to talk about Dan's patches, stickers and vinyls, T-shirts being available on his Redbubble store. I wouldn't want to do that. The descriptions um, <laughs> of the show have the links in there as well. But, you know, that's that's for another time. But yeah, all, all Dan's stuff and the, the patches that are coming out for Osiris, which we're just about to talk about, will be out shortly as well. So people should, should look to support those too. So... On that, um, Osiris, so you guys have kind of come together quite um, amazingly recently. You know, there's been loads of Twitter drops, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to to check in your social media platforms of this untitled UAP project that surfaced a few months ago um, on Twitter. Now, we're going to talk about the origins of it. Um, I want to say briefly, but however long you need. But I would encourage people to go and check out Dead Hand Radio. That was Andrew Hall's podcast, which yeah. predominantly he discusses a lot of Cold War things, but much more recently has moved over to talk about UAPs, UFOs, science fiction, that sort of thing as well. Jeremy and Sean were on his podcast the night before they set off uh, on their on their journey um, with the, the Sky Hub in the back of uh, Jeremy's tricked out car um, the, the new mystery machine um, which I would very much su suggest you go and give that a listen to as well so that would be that be a nice little accompaniment to, to this interview but whoever wants to go for it first how did this all come together that Jeremy from doing his interview on Unidentified and Sean that was your kind of introduction to all this as well back in, in 2018 whenever it was 2017 you've got to this point where you're road trip buddies Sean if you if you want to go ahead on that one I mean well, I mean, uh, linear wise, yeah, everybody, I think most of us know me from, uh, from Unidentified season one, episode three, I was, I went down to Mexico with Lou, um, I, because I had been on the USS Princeton during the Tic Tac incident in 04. Um, but the way that Jeremy and I met was basically, um, he reached out to me on Twitter and I had seen his episode, strangely, funny enough, I was sitting on Lou's couch watching it with Lou while Lou was texting with Jeremy, you know, ribbing him about watching him on TV and being sexy and all this other stuff like Lou does. And, um, and I didn't know until a few you know, months later that, uh, that Jeremy was, was, was that dude. And so I had to go back and, and, uh, and watch the episode again. And I, re I asked Lou, I was like, tell me about this guy. And he said, 
it's, it's simple. He's, he's exactly where you were about two years ago. And I was like, Oh crap, this guy needs a hand. <laughs> I was like, he needs, he needs, he's going to need some help. <laughs> and, um, and I, so that's how we started talking. And then much like you guys, Jeremy became just a part of my day. Um, my, you know, it's the big joke around here is how much we all talk to each other and we don't talk to our wives or children anymore. So we are all trying to like work on that now that we're home for a little bit. But, um, but after that, it's, it's really, this is Osiris is Jeremy's baby from, from the ground up. I mean, the rest of us are just in awe at what he's doing. So I, I got to let him, him talk about how that, that came to fruition. Um, our relationship is cool, but, but what he's done is just incredible. You know, it, it's it's weird. You uh, you mentioned Andrew Hall at the beginning of this conversation, and it was Andrew who pointed me towards Skyhub. Uh, there was a point on one of his podcasts that I was doing where he was asking me what I thought that the collective science around uh, ufology required, and I can't remember the exact answer that I had given him, but it was something along the lines that we needed standardization. We need standardization of instrumentation and output of the uh, the data so that everybody could read it in, in the same way. And uh, Andrew was like, have you heard of Skyhub? I was like, no, what, what's Skyhub? And he gave me a little primer on it. And while I was on his uh, podcast, I popped over to my second monitor and I started Googling Skyhub. And uh, I think uh, before the end of the week, I had started ordering parts and was starting to build my own unit uh, as a matter of fact, it, it came to life right here on my desk for uh, for the longest time as I was testing everything. And it just kind of occurred to me that I live in Las Vegas in the middle of one of the brightest cities in the United States, if not in the world. We have every light bulb that was ever made exists here. And I didn't trust that the, uh, the Skyhub unit would be able to look up and see anything other than maybe glow. So I figured that, uh, well, maybe every now and then I could take it out and put it out in the middle of the desert. And then it just was a natural evolution of thought that it needed to be mobile. And uh, of course, I'm not rich by any sense of the word. So I took my daily driver and started drilling holes in the roof and running wires through it and installing uh, this this sensor suite into the back of this uh, Land Rover. And uh, the Osiris was born from that. And that's it. And uh, Steve McDaniel was one of the, the main guys over at Skyhub. Um, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, really nice guy. And they are not making money off of this. And like like you guys, they are putting this together for the benefit of other people. It's not just for themselves, which is amazing. And it's that kind of the community sharing ideas, technology, and different people have different expertise, which is which is great. Um, most of the sky hubs like you say though tend to be fixed and even when i was thinking about it something i'd like to do in the future oh, i could put it on top of this bit of roof <clears> i could put it on this that the mobile as aspect of it's fascinating did the project which then came to fruition you know the untitled uap at the minute as it's known on twitter was that off the back of you coming up with the sky hub mobile the mobile version or was it vice versa there were so many vectors coming in on this thing from different directions that it was almost like, you know, an, uh, a highway interchange with semis just crashing into each other because we were all, we were all working together and didn't know it. Um, the, the, the connections were already there and it, it literally took weeks for us to kind of just point back and forth going, wait, you're, you're that handle and this person and wait, I know you. And, 
uh, I was, Jeremy had gotten me loosely introduced to Steve McDaniel at the same time that I was being introduced to Steve McDaniel over here and coming on as an advisor. And it was just gonna be me and him talking about a few things and how I could help Skyhub going forward. And the first thing that we had come up with was that, well, because of COVID and because of the lull in, in almost everything with this subject that happened because we were all, you know, where we were and, and relationships were shifting at the time. Um, I said to Steve McDaniel, well, well, you know, I've been trying to find an excuse to get out to Vegas. Um, I wanted to meet an, an old friend of mine. I wanted to meet Jeremy. I think he's building a sky hub. Um, maybe I can go out there and I'll just film him for free. It'll give me an excuse to, you know, get a COVID test and hit the road and, and, and with my minor production company and do a few things and, and move this forward while we're all stuck. And that morphed very quickly um, into finding out that, uh, that Jake Mann from It's Redacted was also, well, he was talking to Jeremy. He was also talking to Steve McDaniel about creating content for them um, in an in a audiovisual sense. And so all these things started coming in. Then Jeremy's relationship with the I Believe in Humans podcast, uh, Dustin and Justin, who are over there, uh, Justin Tandy and Dustin Heyer. But uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll kick over to, to Jeremy on the rest of this. But all of these things just clump fell in fell into place like almost instantly in in the, the in the realm of how these things usually happen yeah it was it was so so strange and <clears throat> in a matter of i think probably three weeks i went from having a conversation with sean about skyhub to having jake from it's redacted say hey why don't we make a movie about your your mobile skyhub unit and I told Sean, I was like, hey, I've got this guy that's he's interested in making a movie about this. And Sean's like, well, you know, we, we can film it with GoPros and iPhones and uh, do all the editing that way. And then a few days later, I'm, I'm talking to uh, I Believe in Humans and just kind of half-heartedly mentioned the fact that I'm working with uh, Sean and Jake to make this little low-budget docudrama type of thing of, uh, of me turning my Land Rover into a Sky Hub. And they're like, hey we've got cinemagraphic equipment. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we, we have red epics. We have, you know, actual cinema film cameras. And if you guys ever needed any help with this, we'd be more than willing to, uh, to come on board and help you out. So the next thing I know, we're making a film and, and we're making a film with people and equipment that just don't make their first film together like this. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. It just all, whenever you start a project, you anticipate roadblocks and doors being thrown in your face and, and uh, people just saying, no, this will never work. And through this entire process, it's, it's been nothing but yes, do it. Yeah. Here's, here's how to do it. Here's holy hell. Can I help you with this? And nobody's ever said no. On the rare occasions that there's been any kind of spike at all, you know, in, in interpersonal relationships, everyone has risen to the occasion as a mature adult has come to the table and, and you know, with the proper 
um, understanding that all of us are flawed human beings. None of us is, is holding anyone to a, a standard of perfection, but that is the goal that we strive for on this team, whether it's um, interpersonally, whether it's it's with our integrity on finances or, or how we we choose and uh, to, to earn our money and or defer things and, until other times. Everything is approached with the idea that this has to have absolute integrity at the end of the day because too much rides on it. And the past has been too obfuscated with entertainment and, and, and BS. And we're, we're very, very stalwart in our goal that, that this is infotainment. Another word we use is docu-follow. And a lot of these, these um, cinematic or entertainment terms, um, they hold very specific meaning. And so I was on a set recently where the, the integrity piece is so important that not being a diva at all, but I said, I can't, I can't say that that iPad is mine. It's not. You know, if you want me to to um, to show you a video on this, we have to say, could, you know, that you brought it because you did, and that I have to that I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I, I don't even, I don't, I can't even play house in the fact that I brought this computer to show you the Tic Tac video. I didn't, you know. Yeah, one one of the things that Sean and I looked at each other very early on in this, and and just came to the 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 conclusion the the consensus that we walked into this separately knowing that the truth matters and only the truth matters. So this is not, I mean, yes, it's entertainment because Sean's a funny looking dude, but it's, uh, it's also not entertainment because it's, it's straight up the truth. We're, we're, recording data we're presenting data and we're not coming to the audience and saying this is what we believe or this is what you should believe we're just presenting facts and it's up to the audience to be able to decipher those facts and develop their own framework of thought i i don't want to tell anybody that you know x equals three i i want people to come to that own conclusion for themselves with the recent changes at Two of the Stars Academy, which they've released their statement, you know, we know Lou, Chris and Steve have now gone their separate ways from Two of the Stars. Two of the Stars want to concentrate on entertainment. A big part of that, though, and your, your guys got your, your start in the community almost through Unidentified. Is this project a natural evolution of what Unidentified started out trying to achieve? Is it fair to see this as a follow-on or is it something totally different? I think that um, it, it's it's natural because of the relationships that are built that, and that have been built along the way to see this as a natural progression in a legal sense, not at not at all. Um, but in, in the sense that that our relationships that we build in this world and, and the information that we share amongst one another is, is that's what's real. The rest of it's a construct that we talk about that we you know that we trade funds and, and influence with in this case. Um, that guy on the wall behind you on your truth poster, myself, Jeremy, and, and you guys too, the most important thing to us is truth and integrity. So, so what this means is, is none of us are under NDAs right now. Um, all the project that we're on is, um, <clears throat> it, it's completely an agreement among professionals not to divulge this information 
only for the sanctity of the audience. You know, you know, if 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 you found out ahead of t- during episode two or ep- excuse me, episode three of Star Wars in the first ten minutes, that spoiler alert, uh, Darth Vader was was Luke Skywalker's father. You've you've had something stolen from you, and it's not that we have this vault of secrets somewhere that we're just doling out for the sense of entertainment, but people, the general public is not informed by peer reviewed papers that we're going to have to submit. They're not, they're not informed by governmental reports that we may help influence data on or provide data to, but our transparency will be 100% the whole way through this product as much as we can while still maintaining the understanding that while not entertainment, infotainment still has a has to have a, a linear arc to it, you know? So we have to work extra hard to think ahead. How do we do this without almost ever having to go backwards and redo anything because then it becomes wooden and, and it's, not, it's not real. Let me just bring, on, uh, bring in Dan at this point before I've got a few questions to move on to what you're talking about there, Sean and Jeremy. Dan, the art you designed for this, I think it's worth bringing in at this point because it's not just a random background scene, is it? If you want to kind of talk about the, the design of the Osiris uh, symbol emblem patch. I, I think I'll actually have a few questions for Jeremy um, <laughs> because the, the way this started was the Jeremy got in touch um, and had a, a mock-up, which was a circle with the word Osiris um, and uh, the, I forget what it was, the, the crook and... There's the crook and the hook. Crook and the flail is the crook and flail. Flail, that was the word I can uh, remember. So you had those. Um, and pretty much I, I wrestled with that kind of crook and flail design for I'd say about two and a half weeks. And then when I got down to it, within about 10 minutes, I figured out that it wasn't going to work um, for what I had in my head. So I quickly scribbled out something else. And that's kind of what became what you see and it picks up on some of the themes um that, that jeremy uh was touching upon initially which was the egyptian connection so my my question for jeremy is why that name oh so osiris i would love to say that i am a gifted wordsmith who can create magic out of thin air but this is let's be honest this is a backronym so I, I came up with the idea of the word Osiris first and then filled in what it stood for, um, which for the listeners, it is the Off-Road Scientific Investigation and Response Informatics System, which spells out Osiris. But the reason that I picked Osiris was one of the early conversations that Sean and I had way back in the day and, you know we're, we're going back to kindergarten now you know like eight nine months ago um we were talking about potential theories and, and thoughts about uh origins and evolutions of the phenomena and one of the conversations that we had was revolving around the potential that the phenomenon is or utilizes an AI, uh, an AI that was a, 
a control construct that controlled everything, that the phenomena was beholden to, that we were beholden to, but that the phenomena was with the ability to exploit this AI to basically enslave populations. Hence, uh, you know, the myths and, and mythos that we have in, in Egyptian lore. And Osiris had been credited as being an artificial intelligence. And I thought that one of the one of the best ways to kind of stick the middle finger back at the uh, the phenomenon was to use an AI to find a potential AI. So by using the AI of the Skyhub, it's kind of like taking the power back a little bit and saying, "Hey, we're we're, we're coming for you." We we're not. Um, we are dedicated to science, and we're dedicated to evidentiary value and and the scientific method. But we live in the same world that everyone else that, that is interested in this phenomenon does. We, we are informed by the same books, experts, televisions, and papers. Um, and so we have a sense of humor. We, we, we looked at this and we, we thought to ourselves, what's the cheekiest way that we can do this and still have it be um, interesting? Again, I, I, we're, I, we're trying to steer away from the word entertainment because we're not going to go backwards into, um, into tongue-in-cheek uh what ifs about the past and how it connects to the phenomenon but at the same time we're willing to recognize that we do have a murky past that has some pretty interesting science fiction stories that seem to be woven into into our early myths and things and so we saw saw it as a really good opportunity to honor those as well as give it the finger um i i would dan tell me the background though is, is very specific. There are things in the background that you came up with that you had no clue what was going on in the real world when you were pulling those out, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, um, and bear in mind, like I had an idea for ages, tried to do it, it didn't work. And then an idea just came to me and I was like, okay, this, I kind of have what I need in my head. <clears throat> so then I went off, the first thing was grabbing uh, some photos of Devil's Tower to take a look at for my reference because I incorporated it. And that day, lo and behold, completely unknown to me, you posted a picture with Lou at Devil's Tower, which is crazy to me. Um, and then you guys, you know, you, you visit there as I'm kind of finalizing the art there and kind of reflecting what I'm drawing in a really weird sense. Um, and I included, because it's a desert scene and I kind of wanted the, the Osiris connection there, I wanted that bull skull in there. Um, and well, I'll let you guys say what, what was on the wall when you got to your destination. It, Jeremy, it, cause you're it, the one, I think you're the one that noticed it. Yeah. It freaked <laughs> me out. I, I walked into the living room. Um, I walked into, uh, to the living room there. And the first thing that I noticed hanging on the wall was a bull skull that looks identical to the one that you've drawn <laughs> in, in this artwork. <clears throat> so the devil's tower just magically appears, uh, given to you by inspiration from elsewhere the the bull's head is directly connected uh and it was it was just amazing and then i believe you had a, a third serendipitous event with the background the uh, the starscape mm -hmm. yeah oh uh, that, yes that, that's the most that fantastic one, one in my mind. mind yeah that's the one um, i like. literally the the evening that i finished the art obviously i didn't know i was going to finish it and I kind of got to a point where I was just banging my head against a, a wall with it, you know, and I kind of needed to put it down and kind of go away from it for the day. Um, and 
it was around during, I think it was about 6 p.m. I've got the file somewhere. Um, I had to search for, for the background, a star map. And I like to incorporate details. So I don't like choosing them randomly. So I picked um, the day that Jeremy first posted about this project on Twitter. And I kind of grabbed the skyscape over, it was over Devil's Tower. And I grabbed the starscape over my location that night because the one over Devil's Tower didn't have Osiris raised on the horizon. So I was like, okay, I'll take that from here. That's cool, that's fine. So when you get a star map, you have to put in a time. And usually I just chuck in 11, 11, just a, it's a habit. It's like a lucky number, right? <laughs> so the, de the Devil's Tower one, is 11 11 that's the that's the scar starscape i use there um and then i put a random time for the one here and then i put the hour aside because i hit that wall and then like 10 minutes later i think to myself nope i've got it i know exactly what i need to do to kind of finish this off i jump back on i finish it off and then as i look at the time as i saved the last final file it is the time that i randomly chose earlier in the day for the stars over my location that's which is insane. just <laughs> that is insane i think it's very fair that if anyone does pick up the artwork in the form of the patch to support the project and just get it out there and it's it's a great talking point i think if you're got it on a backpack or whatever you know when people are allowed to see each other again in the uk and whatever else you may be in the world but you're 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 picking up like a story it's there's a lot of detail and that's why i had to bring that in it's not just a oh look that's a pretty sky that's a pretty background dan puts a lot of work into it but there was so much that just happened to happen you know those synchronicities happenstance whatever you want to call it that just is as like jeremy said it's quite freaky it is it, there's no other way to put it like it's yeah, yeah. strange yeah, and there's it's... one other detail that um, I hadn't shared with Jeremy yet, uh, just because I wanted to tell him by voice and not by text, was that the specifically the UFO in the art has two lines coming from it because I wanted to kind of capture the repeated motion during your sighting with the crate in the desert, right? No way. I love so it. So that's specifically there for you. I get it. I, I but it also get... just looks like, a, you know, a flight line, but it works in both ways. But that's why it's there. Holy crap, man! And it's not even Valentine's Day yet. That's that's romantic, right there. <laughs> oh, it's it's beating right here, brother. That is fantastic. I, I and for you a lot are of gifted. People, I think for a lot of people, it's um, this is honestly to me the most benign introduction to the greater umbrella of the phenomenon that you can have, because it it's a beautiful feeling. And and for some people, the 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 first um clinical picture that they see of this they're like when they go look for real world answers like what what's this thing everybody talks about where things happen so cool and organically and a lot of people they bump into Jungian synchronicities as their as their first introduction to these things but um it without going down a clinical road like that i think most of us recognize this feeling we have this feeling when we bump into people that we end up considering our soulmates um, we find ourselves in situations that, that feel predestined. Again, I'm saying feel, I'm not, I'm not getting into a big can of worms about, you know, destiny and free will, but there is a positive aspect of this. Um, and I'm still, I'm still trying to grasp why for some of us, that feeling, that electric feeling that courses through the group and, and connects us like nodes on Indra's web is, is that feeling the same feeling that people who are having a negative um, 
experience with the phenomenon or that are frightened or terrified by things that they're encountering. I want to know if that's the same thing. And I'm hoping that with all of this, with us attacking the electromagnetic spectrum, you know, in passive and active ways to try to gain as much observational data from as many directions as we can. I really hope that that's a question we're able to answer because as I've stated to Lou on many occasions, a lot of us are in this for the curiosity factor, but I, I'm really concerned about the reduction in harm for the people that are experiencing this phenomenon. I, I wanna see us be able to come closer to the center and try to figure out what it is together. And a lot of us are shouting at each other what this thing is, and I don't know yet. And listen, you're yeah. bringing it back there, the, the phenomenon. So at the moment, the, the project's untitled uap again at untitled uap or on twitter if you want to follow it as well and please do you should be people are going to watch this like with the phenomenon the documentary which is up until now let's wait until yours comes out probably the definitive piece on the phenomenon if you want anyone to watch that something you know a piece of footage a documentary a film whatever that's what you show them now it's so good and it hits the right tone it's got the information it's got the right people in it as well it's it's just it's almost perfect. Well, we'll say not perfect. It's almost perfect. However, no matter what comes out, people talk about these things beforehand and they're hyped massively. And just to put it bluntly, people are going to watch these things expecting to see proof of aliens. That's ultimately what these things are judged on. And it's probably not unfair to say at the end of yours, we're not coming out with proof of aliens. At the end of phenomenon, we're not coming out with proof of aliens. What can or what would you want people to be excited about for the project coming up when they watch it? Well, I, I would correct one statement that you said. Oh, that is we, proof. We don't know what we're going to come out with yet. Because like Sean says, this is not scripted. This is not entertainment. We are going out and we are doing legitimate research. We have, we have uh, uh, frameworks that we're going to be following that dictate how we approach every single one of these investigations that we're going to be doing, we might come out with absolutely nothing. We might come out with definitive proof. We might come out with a wide range of possibilities in between nothing and concrete evidence. We don't know where this is going to lead us yet. And I think that is probably one of the most exciting things about this is because none of us, the directors, the producers, uh, the camera operators, the sound guys, myself, Sean, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, let me uh, let me give you a snapshot and it, it'll it'll wrap up what Jeremy said and also give people um, an understanding of, of what is what does infotainment mean? Um, <clears throat> we have a we have a long list of of very uh, prestigious guests that are willing to come forward and talk to us based on our background, where we came from, and some of the folks that have recommended us. That, that grouping of people, locations, et cetera, and in some cases, um, I'll, I'll use the term very loosely when I say artifacts, okay? Just meaning that in some cases, we might be traveling to a place to see a thing rather than talk to a person per se. But we've been able to map some of these things out and have them be relevant to people who may not otherwise have a, a good understanding of what's come before, what's real, how many programs have there been. We hope to inform a baseline to a certain extent of honest and, and to what we know at this point, true UAP his, history. 
But at the same time, each of those little things, they're just little islands. And what we have, what Jeremy and I have to do and, and whomever we meet along the way, we have to build bridges between those islands and, and the relationship that we have, the conversations we're going to have, um, the people that we meet is going to be an organic process. And, and if in the course of that, we are able to actually collect data that is non-prosaic or that, you know, that, that is truly phenomenological as opposed to just hype because we're not putting hype into it there's never gonna you're never gonna come back to our next episode with a nothing burger it's just never gonna happen because he and i it's gonna have to be written into our contracts if that kind of thing ever exists to us we're just gonna have to go home if it's laced with bs we're not gonna play yeah yeah there's there's no way in the world that we go out and let's just say a hypothetical, we go out to a specific location where somebody has said that there's uh, anomalous events that are occurring constantly. And we bring the film crew and we get up and we set up and we record three days of absolute nothing. That's a result. That is a definitive result. And while it might not be what the audience wanted to see, we're not going to blow smoke up of anybody's butts. It's, it's not an entertainment piece. This is, this is a research endeavor that is being followed by a documentary crew to make sure that everything that we're doing is captured for posterity. So when you see a picture of, of me and Lou and Jeremy behind the Osiris in a canyon on UFO Twitter, you're seeing what the only run up to that is the director says, we're going to drive to this canyon and you guys are going to have a conversation. And that's it. There's no prompting beyond that. We, we've got it. We've got enough understanding that we're going out there because Lou has some stuff he wants to tell us. We're not just going out there to talk about how the trout fishing is and what, you know, the glaciers that created the canyon, but that's as scripted as it gets is we're we're able to actually go on this journey together and have it be real bring folks with us learn along along the way and deliver exactly what we say we're going to deliver so if you see jeremy break his neck going like this looking at something and going holy crap you can be darn sure there was something there to say holy crap at that is it's never going to be a direction of okay babe show me your surprised face we we can't do that (laughs) Yeah. And if the camera misses it, by damned if I'm doing it the second time. Right? Never. The, never. the camera just, missed it. No. Straight up. And so, about the only thing we ever do is walk on and walk off a hundred times. We got to drive the truck into the garage a thousand times and hit those marks because we don't know what the hell we're doing. Everything yeah. else is real. So then if you look at shows like and myself and Dan, we 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 done a watch along of Skinwalker Ranch and we are fans of that show, but we we openly talked about some of the flaws in that as a television show. It has 10 episodes planned and what do you do if you're the History Channel or the AE network and the crew go out for three months to six months and film nothing? You can't put nothing on a channel like history and show that over 10 episodes. Do you have a freedom then? with the way you've set this up and the way you've filmed it that doesn't come with something like unidentified or a curse of skinwalker ranch yeah there's there's a lot of freedom and and i will say that one of the things that we have that i don't believe anybody else has been able to bring to the table 
is that Sean and I have an interaction between each other that is real. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk to each other like two normal human beings having conversations and it's two normal human beings that love each other on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays and wish the other guy would shut up on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. It's, it's absolutely real. And Sean has, we both have a shared military experience. We both have a shared experience of both being fathers of daughters. We have a lot of, of combined synchronicities in life but we come from two very separate places. And Sean comes from a very, uh, uh, or, or has developed, I should say, I think is, is correct, a very humanistic approach to the world. Whereas I am still the guy who wants to go out with my 45 on my hip because it freaks me out. Um, but even if we don't find data, let me, re let me rephrase that because no data is data. Even if we don't find something that the audience is looking for, there is a story in the route that Sean and I are taking. So you have an arc of, of Sean's humanistic approach and his, his desire to, to communicate with the phenomenon in, in a mono uh, mono sort of way. And my desire to tell the phenomenon to knock it off, show yourself and quit being a damn coward and stand up in, in my very, I guess, you know, <laughs> Clint Eastwood kind of way. But, uh, or, or I think you guys call it the American Cowboys, right? Yeah, um, pr probably, yeah. So there's a story in that, just in and of itself, that that other shows don't have because it's not, it's not focusing just on the science. I think there's, Sean represents half of humanity. I represent the other half of humanity. And I think, I think together we bring a lot of people into this that would watch it just to understand how we react regardless of what the data shows. Dan and I are friends today still because of the person Dan is, because he's, he's an amazing man that I want to be friends with. But Dan and I became friends because Dan was courageous enough to be the very first person that ever reached out to me as, as that guy from the Tic Tac thing or, or, or unidentified or whatever and treated me like a human being. Um, he didn't write me you know, overly respectful. It's, it's a weird place to be to slide in then. Yeah, you know, all these things were happening, this, this new level of communicating with people <laughs> pardon me but dan represents number one of hundreds and hundreds of people especially veterans and experiencers and witnesses and law enforcement officials academics across the board you know soccer moms you know everybody who have who have reached out and said i would love nothing more than to be sitting in the back of your car when you're going out to do these things. And, and, and I know that they talk to Jeremy the same way. And I know that folks, they see, and, and this makes Lou uncomfortable because he want, he's all business all the time. But I'm like, I tell him, I'm like, bro, you don't understand the fact that we are friends and the fact that some of us are forming relationships out of this to a lot of people 
makes more sense to them than the UFOs do. And, and then that that the phenomenon does. And so the first thing that they're seeing is that these real people who give a damn about each other in, in the middle of the, the, the most confusing times any of us can, can look back and without being cliche, it's just a confusing world right now. And we're not going to BS you. And, and it's we're it's too complicated for that to be a smokescreen. Yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to get away with it. Yeah, the phenomenon. I've said it before, the phenomena requires humanity. So this is not a story about the phenomena. It's a story about humanity and what it means, what it means to be human among the, the effects of the phenomena. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, look at, look at, what's been going on with Robert Bigelow coming back on the scene recently. I mean, that was, that was a seismic shock across the, the phenomenological phenomenal. I'm going to say that word right today. Phenomenological world. That's something myself and Dan have been, have been messaging about um, even talking about today. Haven't we Dan uh, Bigelow's comments and what they may or may not mean. Yeah. It, it's hard to uh, take anything concrete from, from, you know, essentially just what are words on a, on a camera. Um, if, if Bigelow's seen stuff, great. You know, I, his, his involvement in the past makes me feel it's safe to assume he's maybe seen a bit more than the rest of us, but that's still an assumption on my part. You know, the, the importance shouldn't be on that. It should be on the kind of work that you guys are doing. So let me ask you, you guys are obviously visiting places. How do you choose where to go? Hmm. you know i don't I'll, I'll be straight up with you i don't choose where to go i've i've specifically asked uh our producer not to tell me where we're going until we're nearly there because i don't want any preconceived ideas i don't want to be told what it is because i don't want to have the way that i approach it affect the research of it so primarily the, uh, the production will sit down and analyze data and come up with locations or witnesses. Uh, Sean is, is uh, if I'm speaking correctly for you, Sean, is more of, a, of the witness type of uh, person, and I'm more of the location type of person. Um, you know, I, Sean interacts with people a lot better than I do. I probably interact with, uh, with tech and, and rocks uh, better than I interact with people. So when when uh, our producer Jake tells me that uh, we have a place, he'll tell me, you know, hey, we're we're going to uh, Central Arizona. That's all I know until I drive up on the property. Jeremy's a very interesting and inquisitive man. I mean, spending the time with him that I have not alone that we had, and then on set and getting to see him, the way he interacts with the team. Um, it's going to be no, it's going to be no problem whatsoever to just throw Jeremy into an unknown situation with, with him having some bullet points of understanding. Um, in some ways, the, the production team and I work together. Uh, I, I see operational risk management as my, one of my main goals when we're on set together. Um, I would have done the same job when I was in the military, looking out from, from my crew that's around me. Um, and I see this as the same way because 
while I might be the one that, that's talking about, you know, love, peace and, and hair grease, as they used to say, you know, and reaching out and putting flowers in the ends of guns with these guys. I, I still have a military background and I understand that there are people on disability right now that and people that have been injured and people that have suffered psychological trauma from interaction with this phenomenon. So I'm never going to put Jeremy or myself or any of the other crew into a situation where I feel um, that I, I never feel that the, that the safety of our crew is, is less important than the data. Um, the, or the people are always going to be most important if I'm mixing that up. Yeah. Um, but, that's, but, that's not to say that we're not going to go to a dangerous location and collect right. data. Right. We're just going to have the safeguards in place to make sure that the, the crew is protected from whatever may be encountered. So I think the big one of the big questions. I'm sorry, Andy, but Dan Dan probably is is hoping that that I throw out there is of course we're talking to Lou, but um, but as everybody knows, it's not like there's this secret spigot of information that he's able to turn on and, and turn off, or 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 that there's this this treasure trove of stuff. Now there are impressions um, that that can be gathered, and we're we're I will say this if the, if there is a tidbit. We're some of the first people to, to get to find out how Lou feels about some of this stuff. And um, I really look forward to sharing that. That's as close as we can get to spoilers with this. But, um, but I can say that we have, between Jeremy and myself and the folks that we work with, we're all trained in um, pattern recognition. Um, all of us have a background in, in and have a lot of military and government money that have have put time and effort behind us to teach us how to find these patterns. And so like when Jeremy talks about me being more focused on interviews, that's because I used to do interview and interrogation. Now it's, it's the same techniques and, and uh, tools that you might use to try to elicit a, a honest, and I, I stress that honest, we, we, none of my training ever involved coercion of any kind, an honest confession out of a suspect those same things when applied in a heartfelt manner can help people heal while giving a recount of, of a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to bring psychology into that that are non-manipulative. And as long as the, the, the person is a willing volunteer, there's a different way to go about this than has been gone about in the past. Yeah. And, and when Sean is talking to humans because of his past military experience and in uh, interrogations and such, my past military experience was doing uh, force protection surveys in forward operating locations where I would, Sean would interview a person, I would analyze a fence uh, or look at uh, the, the, the height of concertina wire or how far uh, the security lights were apart from each other. So I talked to rocks, Sean talks to people. Dr. Rocks too sometimes. <laughs> Listen, a lot of those rocks and those people sent in questions that we will get to soon. So there's a few things that I've you've touched on that I've held off on asking you because I'd be jumping back and forward. So I've got a few more questions on the project itself. And then, like I say, I managed to narrow it down to about 15 listener questions from a lot more than that that were sent over. So um, this was one of the listener questions uh, from, uh, I say it, I'm not going to ask them and I do it, but... Uh, one of the listeners, it's the right time to bring it up, was um, Tiana. Sorry if I've butchered that. But I wanted to ask this as well. So, Jeremy, if you go out there um, with Sean, of course, uh, 
and you capture the perfect video or the perfect bit of data, what is the plan? If you have something that we can, that is akin to say proof of something, are you going public with that? Does that stay hidden? Is there some other process? People are going to want to know that. Oh, it, it goes out. I, whatever I find, and I'm not saying I uh, flippantly, it's, it's we, this is a, a team effort. Um, it's just force of communicational habit. I say I, uh, whatever we find, it's, it's going to be published. It's going to be released. There is, if, if I have to put it in, in the contract, that I am not restricted from talking about the data, I'll put it in the contract. Um, if, if we go out to, uh, I'm, I'm using, I'm not saying that we're doing this, I'm just using this as a, uh, an example. If we go to Skinwalker Ranch, and if a Skinwalker materializes in front of us, or a portal opens up and we capture this and we have telemetry and we have data, there is nothing that I am going to do that is going to keep this information from falling uh, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be put on a shelf. I would like to know as well, and this is something uh, to follow on from that. Are you doing anything when you get to any of these locations, when it's not an artifact, uh, as you talked about, when it's a physical location, are you doing anything to attract phenomena? That's something that, um, that I, I'll, I'll, I'll say we're, we intend to. Um, we have means and techniques and... Um, and methods that we believe are, are non-destructive um, and, and are all completely legal and uh, according to local laws, regulations, et cetera. Uh, we're not gonna, those are, those are proprietary right now, um, but, but it's not like we're gonna be filming multiple scenes of multiple tries and, and throw out the stuff that doesn't work. People are gonna see what we do. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's, but yes, we're yeah. going on to a location and just sitting back and waiting for something to happen. It's it's not our style. There will so, be bait on the hook. Yes. And that's from Jeremy's experience of sitting in a nuclear box out in the desert, I'm sure. So that that, <laughs> that seemed to work for him at that point, didn't it? Um, as, um, as you guys go forward, will the capabilities of Osiris grow if oh. you feel you need to add things? Without, yes. without a doubt, without a yes. doubt. Um, the, I, I, I think I can say this, uh, without, I don't mean to sound too, you know, prophetic, but I envision a fleet of, of different vehicles. Um, there are different, Jeremy is, Jeremy is the first, um, there will be more and those people are going to, to attack the problem from their own perspective and their, their, their own way, um, we're using we're utilizing skyhub and and again jeremy uh, that's about as technical as i get is saying the phrase skyhub but um but one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that the data from skyhub we don't have control over that it, it goes directly to the cloud it's accessible by by the public and skyhub is the one that curates that data and they're a nonprofit. so first of all anything that's captured directly above us it's immediately going to be available um, beyond that, I, I would be remiss if I said, uh, of course, we're not going to divulge classified U U.S. programs or programs of our allies. But I think Jeremy and I are smart enough that whatever's going on on an Air Force base, we're not interested in that. We're not. That's that's yeah. I mean, going that's ridiculous to try to pry those secrets out. 
Yeah, going back to your other question, Andy, if, if I see anything, am I going to report it? If a ship lands in front of me and a captain in the United States Air Force hops out of it and says, hey, turn off the cameras, <laughs> we're turning off the cameras, and that's not going to go out. But if, to borrow a phrase from Sean, Glib Glob comes out of the, the craft and he's waving his 16 different arms around, that's going on camera. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do this subject any service from, from behind bars in Fort Leavenworth. So. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a fair point. And that's something I'll be speaking to Lou about as well. And by the time this comes out, I'll have released Lou's interview, but it's that having an, an NDA or having that background or a clearance, it's important and it's frustrating for a lot of people. And I'm sure you guys understand that, but that's that's other people's problem. And I'm one of those people. I, I would love a Lou or a Bob Bigelow or a Brandon Frugo just to come out and go, do you know what? To hell with the NDA, to hell with the, you know, whatever I've signed, the oath I've taken. Here's what I know. But people have more or less done that and it hasn't changed much. So, and this is what I've, I've had some conversations today online about this. Maybe the way it's happening is the best way for it to happen at the moment because it seems to be giving us a steady progress. Now, but again, I'll just drop this in here that Bob Bigelow um, famously on 60 Minutes a few years ago commented that aliens were already here right under our nose. That was brought up by George Knapp uh, on his interview just a few days ago and people have been all over the place analysing the comments. Now, he has basically come out on live television and basically said aliens are here. Mm -hmm. um, Lou Elizondo sat on Fox News and uh, he was asked the question, does the US government have crashed UFOs? And he said, in a word, yes. The, the Department of Defense has released videos saying here are these UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, flying about in our skies. It's still not enough for people. And this is because everyone's got their own ideas of what they want to happen. So that frustration is always going to be there, I think, I think, for people. Do you guys feel that when you're going about a project like this as well? I think we, uh, Lou and I have an understanding, and this is my metaphor, but we've discussed this before, that when there is some, there are some conclusions and observations that some people have come to. And I think, I think Mr. Bigelow is, is a, Bob's an excellent example of that, where those are Bob's conclusions based on data and throwing that data out there is almost like a flashbang grenade. It goes off and very few people are prepared for it. Very few people turn away and shield their eyes or have hearing protection or something. And so when they turn back to assess the target, most people can't get a, can't get a picture of it. It's too much for them to handle. It overwhelms their senses, their, their, their personal philosophies and things like that. And so I'm not saying that we don't occasionally utilize things like that to get people. Uh, oh, and hold on. This almost sounds like I'm laying out an agenda. That's not what I mean. I'm saying I think it's smart to sometimes utilize techniques like that if you're aware of it to get people's attention. But I keep encountering experiencers who are so frustrated. They're having, ex they're having experiences to them that are getting more and more lucid and congruent. And they're really frustrated that they're not able to express this to the rest of us. And I think where Jeremy and I enter the picture, so to speak, or one of the things that we're cognizant of is that there is a rest of us who just goes, y'all are crazy. And we're, we're trying to ride this, this edge of that crazy where it's like, no, no, no. 
come here for a minute and really listen. And so it's, it's just so, we have to be so careful because I, I care about those experiencers. Those people are going through something. They're like, they have no clue. A lot of people want to tell us they know exactly what's going on and who these things represent and what they are and what the message is. But that's anecdotal again. We, we need to share this experience somehow. And, and people are tuning into this to listen to you guys, but just to share my opinion, because a few people saw this online today, I often wonder if if Dan is one of those people online saying, I deserve to know, never mind other people's oaths or, you know, national security, I want to know. So imagine, you know, uh, Mr. X, maybe the wrong name, um, he can pull someone to the side and say, come in this room and for five minutes, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to lay down what exactly is happening, what we know, what they are, where they're from, what the technology is. And then at the end of that conversation, if they were asked, okay, do you still want to know that? Or do you want us to wipe it from you? I bet a lot of people would change their mind and say, I, I don't want to know that. I'm not ready for that. That was too much. And well, people, I think you're right. That, but yeah, go ahead. No, but that's, I, people don't want to hear that. I think that would be the case. I also think that that's assuming that the government knows. Right. That's the other part. These are yeah. the same the, the I don't believe that the accessible data is definitive. Now, whether there's inaccessible data that's like, oh, yeah, that's a that's an alien and that's a spaceship. I don't know if that exists. I don't I honestly, after three years in this, I don't have rumblings of anything like that. That's more than any of the myth or legend that has clouded the entertainment genre of this all the way up into this point. We really don't know what's real other than what's on the, on paper. And we all know even some of that is likely misinformation. But if I, th I think the smartest thing all of us can do really quickly is realize that whatever happened before is not the people that are in office now or, or holding positions within government now or in leadership positions or at the research labs that may or may not have done whatever it is that shuts people down on, on this, where they start calling for gallows and things like that. We have to get over it. We have to hit some, there has to be a moratorium on this at some point so, so we don't hang the grandsons of the people who, who may have done things we didn't agree with. And the figurehead at the moment of whatever you want to call this is, in my opinion, and more than likely Lou Elizondo. And that's the person that people are gravitating towards for answers. What was Lou's involvement in the project? How did he come to get involved in you two deciding, do you know what, let's hitch a Skyhub in a car, let's go and drive, let's do this. How did Lou get, get on board with it? Jeremy? Well, for me, it was, I've, I've stayed in loose contact with Lou ever since the uh, the show that I was on with, with Sean. Um, Lou had no influence in me putting a sky hub in the car. I have I have told people this a thousand times and I will I will say it a thousand more. Uh, this is something that I was going to do with or without a film crew following. I want answers and I am not dependent upon the government to spoon feed those to me upon their schedule. I am going to go out and get them my damn self, uh, if I can. Uh, when I told Lou what I was doing, and when I told Sean what I was doing, the interest was peaked, but they didn't ask me, they didn't tell me, they, they had no 
genesis in me saying, hey, this needs to be mobile. Um, and I think that this is one of the things that, uh, and, and Lou, if you're listening and I'm wrong, uh, you know, shoot me from a distance, but be kind about it. This is something that I think that Lou would have accepted from anybody. Um, this process of disclosure isn't about me. It's not about Sean. Hell, it's not about Lou. It's about people. And if, if two more people want to do the same thing that I'm doing, or if 3,000 more people want to do the same thing that I'm doing, I think Lou would be really, really happy to have those people in communication. I'd be happy to say if, if you want to build a, a honest-to-goodness working UAP data collection unit, especially a mobile unit, get in contact with us. If you, um, I'm talking to a couple of people. One of them is Gary Voorhees. Uh, people have seen on social media that we were together recently. Uh, we were cheeky about bumping into each other on the Catalina Ferry. Uh, for anyone who took that seriously, no, that was not a serendipity. We were headed to the same. We knew where we were going. We'd just been on a flight together. But um, Gary is 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 looking at his company, UAPX, again, and considering streamlining it to to bootstrap himself up to the level where he can be a, be a, a help to this, too. Um, I almost said the word player, and I don't mean to put that in there because this isn't a game. This, but this is very much a grassroots effort to start attacking this program from and casting as wide a net as possible. And every single person involved with this, none of these people are are scrabbling for for money, for fame, for scoops, for secrets, for any of that. They have personal, authentic drives to try to make things better for other people. And that's why we're all dedicated to this. Um, Lou came into this for me because we're, we're, we've been talking about working together and forwarding this from the day we met. We lose one of those folks for me that once we made eye contact, I, I just knew it. He was one of those guys that I don't know if I, you know, share some atoms with him or, or you know, maybe we maybe we yanked each other out of a trench in World War One and some other life or something like that. I don't know. But I, there's a connection there. I feel the same connection with Jeremy and I feel the same connection with you guys. I can't wait to share a beer with you someday in person, but this is about people. And that, I think that's going to get us there. Now, we, we can't depend on the government to give us the information. We, we as citizenry of this planet, if we have, if we believe we deserve to know the truth, we just as equally should be motivated to go find it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to ask this till later, but I'll ask you now, Jeremy, then. So when this declassified, and I have used the air quotes for anyone who can't, well, we're not releasing the, the video of this, you know, uh, this declassified report comes out. I, I don't doubt there's going to be a lot of things in there that people would like, but won't be there for whatever reason. Do you think the report could potentially be disappointing to people? Is it something you would still look forward to or something in between? Well, let me let me ask you this. Has any government ever published anything that you were happy with? Not in the recent times, no. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that, and, and I don't know the guys at the task force. I know that they are tasked with doing one hell of a job with no funding and virtually zero support. So when the report comes out, I don't think anybody should hold them 
personally responsible for their likes or dislikes on the report, but instead look at the machine that prevented these guys from being able to put together a comprehensive report. I think we all have a worldview that even at its most basic layer, we can put over this that does include obfuscation, that does include um, probably confusion on the parts of our predecessors, um, <clears throat> obvious uh, lack of solidarity within the ranks as to the conclusions and as to what this means. But at the same time, that report, we know what the wording is on what they're at, they were told to deliver. So again, like Jeremy said, don't shoot the messenger, but we're going to prob probably be able to tell more about what's not in that report uh, than by what's in it, I think. I, I, if, if there is information in there that, that makes our project and television show irrelevant, cool, because I was already retired and I'm okay going back to doing that. <laughs> <laughs> And just before we get into listener questions, have you got anything you want to ask the guys on on the project itself? So, I've got I've got a listener question here, but my my last one is really about um, <clears throat> over the course of everything I've read about anyone that's ever had an encounter or an abduction or anything like that, there seems to be this post experience altruism that rises up in people, and it's not lost on me that you guys come from a lifetime of service and in a moment in your life where you could be putting your feet up and enjoying the, the fruits of your labor, you're choosing to go back into this, again, almost a, a public service to, to help the world. So I kind of wanted to ask how your experiences changed you or how you feel they, they changed you. There's, there's a loaded question for you right there, isn't it? Oh, my God. How has the experience changed me? Well, first off, I don't think that I'm as altruistic as people would like me to be, to be completely honest. I saw something back in 1995 that I still don't know what the hell it was. Um, I'm still looking for those answers for my personal vindication, for my personal realization, my personal understanding. There's no reason that I would sit on it, digest it, and not give it to anybody else. Um, but let's be honest, I'm, I'm not a knight in shining armor. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for my family. And if my answers and my journey helps you, that is fantastic. And I will not take that away from anybody. But it's not my motivation. I'm, I'm not, I still have a day job. My feet are not up on a desk. It was just that at some point in time, the universe, the phenomena, whatever you want to call it, uh, cosmic energy decided to put Sean and Jake Mann and the I Believe in Humans guys and Lou Elizondo in, in my bubble all at the same time with the ability to enable the idea and the wish and the desire that I had had over the past 25 years to figure out what the hell it was that I saw back in 1995. Um, and I would be 
an asshole if I didn't tell people what I found on this journey. Um, but this is, this is something that I'm doing for myself. Dan, you and I talk a lot. Um, I think you probably see that Jeremy and I present uh, an almost, um, well, perfect's a lousy word, but an almost perfect yin yang on this, on this topic. And it's, but it's the beauty of it is that I remember, and I don't, there's no stink on any of this, but I remember feeling exactly how Jeremy feels. Um, and it's too easy to make it sound like that there's a positive or a negative side to this, but all of us approach this and arrive at our own emotional intelligence in, in different ways and through different, different venues. And it would be, it would be silly to have two Sean's doing this. We would just walk around in this woo woo circle of, of hugging each other and saying, wow, man, over and over again, Jeremy tempers me. Um, I help ground him in, in a different way. And, and we really look out for each other. Our team has seen its, um, has seen some challenges. And when I say that we, we, we've seen adult challenges in a real world that has the phenomenon interwoven into it. There's not a person on our project or our set who is really going to turn to a camera and go, no, I don't know what this crap's all about. These guys are weird. No, every, everybody is, everybody has touched this live wire at some point and we've all had our own reactions to it and, and needed each other to, to help come back to center and keep remaining objective observers. I would just like to ask you both, is there any deadline or idea of any release date time frame that people can kind of keep up to date with for the, the project kind of come into fruition? I can tell you that uh, when asked to flex, our, our team um, made, put Schwarzenegger to shame. Um, it, Justin Tandy, uh, uh, Dustin Heyer, uh, our sound guy, Tomas, um, they, they just, I can't even tell you that I don't have a, I don't have a metaphor good enough for what these guys did. I mean, they, they put the, the team at, at Los Alamos to shame in, in World War II with coming in under the wire with brand new things. I mean, these guys, they did in a short amount of time what has taken other people in my, my influence nine months to do. They did it in five days. Yeah. So we, we got a te we got a teaser out for some of the, uh, the money guys that I've been talking to. And uh, I, I come from that crowd initially. So some of the people that I've dealt with before were, were interested in, in this and uh, required a teaser. And in normal circumstances, it would be unheard of, if not impossible, to film for five days, travel for four days, and then crank out a professionally edited, color-corrected, sound with Foley teaser. Original in, soundtrack written on the spot, all of the above, you know. It, I, it's, and we had it within five days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the feedback on it has been incredible. The, the, so when you ask for a debt, when you ask if, is there a deadline, there's no calendar in this room at all. Um, and, and there's there's nothing written anywhere, but the sense of urgency 
is as great with our team as it is with the people who are who are salivating for the data. It 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 it, it the urgency is there. I promise you. Yeah, awesome. And you, you've talked about you're you're currently looking for an investment, which is great, and that that obviously makes sense as well. These things aren't free to do as much as you can drive about with iPhones, which was the original plan. It's it's evolved right. very quickly, but very fluidly and naturally, which is no doubt going to add to the the quality of the end product. Is there a way that people could support other than following on Twitter, getting in touch with you guys, um, building their own Sky Hubs, or is there going to be a point people could support directly financially? Well, I, I think you keyed in on the Sky Hub thing right off the bat. Anybody can go to skyhub.org, and as they are a nonprofit, um, build your own Sky Hub, contribute to the collection of the data, um, go to Dan's Redbubble and get some merch about this project and get the word out whether or not there will be a publicly facing portal for investments in the future on this i don't know we're not structuring it like that at this point because well there when when you get public monies into something you have a fiduciary responsibility to provide an roi science is not necessarily commensurate with an roi and i don't want the data being influenced by an investment from somebody that wanted jokes so far this is this is fully funded by the people that are involved we we've taken personal financial responsibility and liability in this and at the moment that's where it stands um there is a vetting process that has to occur for us when someone comes to us and says, I want to furnish you with, with funding, we don't, we don't pop the champagne and roll out the red carpet. We say, why do you want to get behind us? Yeah, and what control are you going to take? Mm-hmm. And, and what, what level of this, what level of agenda uh, presenting do you intend us to do? Because unless it's the truth unobscured from the, the global public, with obvious safeguarding of national security interests, we're not in. Yeah. We'll go home. Yeah, this is this is not going to be something that espouses conjecture and opinion. Um, you may hear my opinion, but it will be it will be asterisked as a definitive opinion. It will never be presented as fact. I will never say that ancient aliens are real. I will never say that unless we have the scientific data that captures it and lays it out for the public. And both if of us best- have, oh, please. Both of us have brought cases. Both of us have made arrests. Both of us have processed um, criminal cases, brought um, military personnel to court-martial before peer review, before juries and judges, we understand how evidentiary value works and we understand what gets thrown out, what's garbage. And we also understand that if, if, the, if the investigating officer is not present to provide testimony, details and evidence, then it's just, it's, it's thrown out immediately. Um, we, we're bringing all of that acumen to bear on this and it, we're, we're pains in the asses. Because we always have to let folks know that if they have any, and Andy, you know this because I've made your life hard when it, if you like, there's any dazzling about the stuff or there's any glitter on your, on your product, I got to pull you aside and go, whoa, 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 what's that all about? 
you know, and then we have, you know, we have to have that conversation. I, I, we can't stress it enough. There's, this is a no BS attitude. I hope the conversation there is enough for the listeners around the project to, I know people are excited about it to get on board, follow on Twitter, keep in touch. And again, if that, if that financial support can come down the line, I'm sure there would be people waiting to do that as well. There were a lot of listener questions wanting to know your thoughts on a variety of different topics. So I'd like to try and get through as many of them as we can. They go all over the place, but uh, there's there's some really good ones in there. Dan, did you have one to kick off with from a, a listener perspective? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so this is from uh, at joke to self. Uh, they asked, is there data to suggest, to suggest that UAPs are related to what in human history has been referred to as God? Wow. And that's a big dream. Ooh. Um, I, I would ask to define data first. Define God too. Yeah. <laughs> that There are stories there are stories that link, there are historical records that are written as uh, epic sagas that link the phenomenon to God or gods. Um, I don't know if any of that can actually pass a scientific examination and be considered data. I, I like, uh, I, I love the, the, the joke reference in Star Trek where Captain Kirk asks, the being at the center of the galaxy what does god need with a starship um so i i, I like the joke but not not to completely deflect it i, I can't answer that there's 2300 plus religions being practiced on the earth right now and they're all ready to go at each other's throats based on what flavor of deity they feel has ruled us i i can't touch the religious part of it yeah, and I think you start to potentially, rightly or wrongly, get along the ancient aliens route with that question. Not that I don't like the question, and yeah. like Jeremy mentioned way back at the start, and you look at even like the ancient Egypt connects and things like that, there is no doubt basis in history for the phenomenon that we may or may not get to one day, but it just very quickly becomes a meme of aliens, and that's, that's a hard one, but it's a fair question. Um, Mike, it's think, something that I would love to find the answer to. And one day, one way or another, you probably will. Um, just hopefully it's before, you know, the end. Um, listener, not to get too morbid, but yeah. Uh, next one, Mike Tipping. What is it about schools that seem to attract close encounters? Looking at Ariel, Westall, Broadhaven, obviously the phenomenon done an incredible job of bringing that to life right at the end and purposefully. purposefully um, that's a hard word to say, like phenomenological. Um, purposely put that in at the end of the documentary to really have that hitting home. And it seemed to get a lot of people's attention. Sean, you're making a face, so I'm going to ask you to come in on that one. It's a very, that well, air, the, aerial phenom the aerial school phenomenon is a very profound case. Um, but I have a hypothesis. I'm very careful to use that word instead of theory, but I have a hypothesis that's shared by some other researchers um, in the field and people who are far more learned than I am in the subject, that children up into a certain age, <clears throat> their brainwave state is in a range that we call theta. Um, and that state seems to be commensurate with um, not only with, with learning and pattern patterning, um, but also 
it's also commensurate with uh, entering into the dream state and lucid portions of our consciousness as we as we go to sleep or as we enter into trance states when we're very tired or um, in the case for adults when we're occasionally under the influence of certain things and we're able to disassociate our our personality from our bodies to an extent. It's a very, very gray area, but I have a feeling that children are, may be able to witness a portion of our reality that we as, as adults no longer have direct access to. And I know that that's very controversial and, and very strange to many people, but for a lot of the people that in this collective field, it's, it's not completely unheard of. I, I would love the metaphor of if you've seen the Polar Express, the Christmas movie, one of my favourites, where the yeah. kid hears the bell for years, and right yeah. at the end the narrator says, I heard the bell longer than most, but even eventually the bell went quiet for me, but his kids heard the bell, and that's it. There's that innocence that for so long you believe in something magical, yeah. or the abilities there too, and it just it just goes. I, that's my just... feel. That's where my feeling leads us, yeah. But I, that's, again, that's not evidentiary, so... I was just going to say through from, from my angle, it, it reminds me of uh, The Shining. And I know there's, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with Stephen King about inspiration and where his ideas and stories come from. But that's almost a whole, a whole other podcast. Yeah, Stephen Absolutely. King is a guest on the podcast next week, folks. Get your quick. No, he's, he's not. <laughs> Start sending in questions. Good on you, Andy. <laughs> uh, no, next week's Danny Silver. So get your questions in for that. But oh, that's, that's oh, equally cool. as good. Um, Next one, uh, have either of you gents, this was from Stephen, seen the video that Bigelow Aerospace put online September 20th, 2019, and it just had the headline, Our Small Contribution, and it seemed to be of an orb. I've got nods here, which is good, and they just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that video and why it was I'm put gonna, out. <laughs> I'm going to no comment on it, only because of the fact that I would be revealing um, data that we hope to show for the first time. Uh, we might fail at it. So I'm going to have to go uh, no comment on that one. That's a great no comment, though. I mean, I'll take a no comment like that off Lou, hopefully tomorrow night when I speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble, sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. With that. Jeremy, did you want a no comment or do you want a divulge? Uh, I'd like to divulge my no comment. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, Dan, what was your thoughts on that video? Uh, interesting. Oh, right. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's, 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 it's hard to it's hard to get much out of it. It, it, it. The gesture of them posting it with that title was like throwing a flash bomb into a, a crowd for me. Um, I'd love to know more, but there's there's just not much more tangible to be known. See, seen in a vacuum. It, it's absolutely without context. You're right. It's very confusing and it can be seen as almost muddying the waters, but this is an, it's an excellent opportunity for people to see that if that there's things in that picture to be researched, to be an information to be sought after that it's, this is where folks get to decide whether they want to play checkers or chess. And I don't mean to be evasive here, but for us to tell you what's in that photo would still be conjecture on our part. Other people need to do the research and come to the come to the conjecture we've come to, and then we can all kind of go eh, eh, and look around the room at each other, and then yeah. change the conversation. I think the idea of the photo has given us ideas. Most and, certainly, 
so you're not going to be writing one of those essays to get the half million dollars that Bob Bigelow's just put up as a, a prize, no? You know, Bob can watch this entire production that we're doing, and at the end of it, if he comes to the conclusion that we've proved his hypothesis, then I'll take the money. I mean, ideally, at the start of it, Bob could fund your uh, production. That would be probably welcome. Well, the, the problem is, for me, with that, and I'm, I'm actually sitting here literally thinking it through, and I just can't envision a, a way for me to participate without having to die. And so I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not prepared to do that for anybody yet. I'm I'm no longer on contract with the United States government as a service member. So I don't know how, what once somebody tells me how to bring back proof of death without dying, uh, I'll I'll volunteer. So you're happy to leave that in Bob Bigelow's hands. That that's fair. Um, next question I liked from Austin. Um, he's talking about NASA constant constantly runs a live feed from the International Space Station. Every now and then, as you will know, the feed goes down. Normally, yeah. this is reported as multiple objects or objects have come into view, and people would be seen. And I'm not sharing my opinion here, just rightly or wrongly something has come into view that people should not be seeing on this feed and it cuts off. Uh, Austin just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that, but also how do you feel that could feed into Skyhub and how Skyhub is used? Well, I'll tell you right off the bat that Skyhub has a limited range. I don't believe that I'm going to be able to be seeing anything around the, uh, the space station. Now, the OSIRIS is mobile, but until we get good funding, I don't think we're going to be launching it into orbit. So... Uh, being able to see with the Sky Hub is, is going to be problematic. The, the ideas that he's talking about in, in the video feed dropping off, I've, I've seen it myself. I've been watching the live feed, and I've seen it go out. And I've seen a lot of the ideas being presented on what is happening right before or during uh, the output. Um, and I'm not giving away anything that's super secret because... You can go on Wikipedia and look up the X-37. Uh, we have a clandestine space program. We, we do. It's out there. We have little miniature uh, uh, spacecraft that look like the, uh, the space shuttle, but more the size of a school bus. Uh, I can only assume that sometimes when that video drops off, it's something that we're not supposed to see not because it's of extraterrestrial origin, but because it's of very terrestrial and very secretive origin. And I think that uh, a lot of the times it's, it's in our best interest not to know those things. Sean, did you want to come in on that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Jeremy summed up a lot of it very well. Um, <clears throat> I'm of the belief that everything happens for a reason. Um, I've been able to, to take that down to the subatomic level philosophically for myself and all the way up to the macro level and make it make sense for me personally. So I'm not surprised when I see things like that that make sense that other people might be going, nothing to see here. So we, we, we have to, I think one of the biggest questions we all need to ask ourselves, because that looks pretty obvious, it is cutting off when cool stuff happens. It's that simple. So the question is why? Is this based in stigma? Is this based in the, the, the lack of definitive answers to give to the public? I still think that's a huge part of it that no one in, in government ever wants to say, we don't know the thing that seems to be doing things better than us. Um, but then 
the question is, is that it, where does it rub up against our, our national security interests? Because I think where people, regardless of your, your myth or worldview about the past of this, it is obvious to understand that, that the governments of the world intend to develop weapon systems that they have observed based on this phenomena. At the end of the day, that's what I'm, I'm not going to say most concerned with, but it's something that has to be taken into this equation because it is what the people who ultimately have controlled the narrative in the past and or will in the future are most concerned with. Just on that, I would recommend anyone, especially from watching guys like yourselves talking ex-military, and this is no slight on the US government, but just any government and military, if you watch Space Force on Netflix, it comes across, it's a comedy, but the incompetence levels, but what they do, I am sure is based far more in reality than the governments would like, like to happen. You know, like, the government is your neighbor. It's your brother-in-law. It's your uncle. It's the person who got drunk at your house last time and isn't allowed back. These are real people. Yeah. You know, we we are the government. We are the people. <coughs> and and we're all on. messed up. <laughs> no comment. Um, should uh, So the next question from Dave Smethurst, uh, should we adopt a trial method for the phenomenon where evidence is weighed and beyond reasonable doubt is the standard for proof with science and scientists taking the role of expert witness testimony in this? Yes and no. I, I don't think that science and scientists should be the expert witness testimony because science, science has a long, long history of attempting to prove what is currently known and not necessarily having a wide acceptance of possibilities. Now that seems to be shifting, especially as we go into the ideas of quantum entanglements and, and, and things like that. But science for the longest time was beholden to the idea that the earth was the center of the universe. And it did everything that it could to maintain that illusion. So I don't believe that science should be the witness, the expert witness. I think that humanity in all walks of life, I think the guy that, that is the janitor at your local high school, along with the person that is developing the, uh, the laser propulsion system, I think they should both be the witnesses to this. And humanity with their ability to describe what it is that they think feel and see that's the expert because there's nobody else to judge us but us there, there's two aspects to this i think um that are that are super important i think we have forgotten that many of our major accomplishments in physics and mathematics and things like that without getting too esoteric they came from ideas first uh, the math doesn't lead us to the ideas. The ideas have led the human beings to the math in, in many ways. So if we remember that the first aspect of science is saying what if, or what about, or what do you think? Those, those, that's where we first start reaching out into the ether for the ideas. And that's the creative process that a lot of us may understand in a different way than folks who don't utilize the arts might not understand it as much, but it's that same feeling we get in sports when we're in the flow state where we are in there in our zone 
and we're reaching for these new creative ideas. And then our worldview, we build that worldview up and we hope that at the end of the day, all the math works out. And if it doesn't, it was just another idea that didn't work. Um, there are aspects of this that uncomfortable or not are finally being addressed that there seems to be a consciousness connection to the phenomenon. I'm still not, don't like saying phenomena when, without saying that that's an umbrella that I believe includes many things, not mm -hmm. unlike the ocean includes many species of fish. It includes ourselves and it includes the, the, uh, the apparatus that we put in and take out of the sea for observational purposes. I think we're dealing with something similar to that, but the people who are having the lion's share of interactions in consciousness are not people who are able to articulate that at a PhD level to the people who we need to help us understand the science or the physicality that we may be interacting. Those two communities, experiencer community and scientific investigatory, military, whatever we want to call it, these two communities have got to come together. They've got to lower their boundaries with the, our military folks. We have to be willing to talk to people who, who might not fit into a uniform inspection and, and might not pass their barracks inspection in the way that we want them to, but we need their ideas. And then we need to take our observational data, our science and our hard, hard earned evidence that we can break out of the apparatus. And we need to put those two, two things together to build a worldview. I'm just going to say that probably also answers Sean uh, away from Soul, who I think you'd commented on Twitter anyway. Um, they wanted to talk about the nuts and bolts crowd versus the orb consciousness, Bledsoe perspective. Yeah. And I think you've touched on that within that as well. Dan, uh, did you have any more listener questions on your end? I've got another couple. I mean, if you want to stay on mute, you can, but it's incredibly rude. But <laughs> Apologies. It had to happen at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing that out either. It's been too good so far. So, <laughs> um, so I will ask uh, this one from Dennis Garbons uh, to Jeremy. Um, <clears throat> he asked, on Dead Hand Radio, you conveyed the search for another soldier with you in Jordan during... Uh, your task of defending a covert asset. Uh, I, I, th I think it's what was, no, it's what was your motivation, I think. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. So I'll just skip to the end. Um, what was your motivation for contacting the uh, unidentified folks? Um, and was the guy who was with you during the experience found? Yeah, so uh, my motivation wasn't even my motivation. I was, I was directed by Reddit, a subreddit uh, on Reddit to contact the, uh, the History Channel show. And it was because I had gone on Reddit and I had posted a brief description of my sighting and I was asking the Reddit community because they are a wonderful group of internet detectives who can do everything from find anybody to apparently manipulate stock markets. Um, so, I wanted to reach out and, and talk to them and, and see if they could help me track down the person I was with to validate my own memory of this. And through the Q&A, after I posted it, uh, a lot of folks said, hey, you know, you should reach out to, uh, to the show and pause the show at the very end. And there was an email address. And I basically cut and pasted the, uh, the story that I posted on Reddit and sent it to the show. And... I don't know, six, eight weeks went by and nothing ever happened. And 
then I get a call from one of the producers saying, hey, would you like to tell your story on air? Um, to the second part of the question, I still have not found the person that I was with. Um, by now, I hope that that person has, has seen this, has seen me trying to reach out and identify who he was. And my, my desire is that uh, he can validate my memory, but he's just choosing to, to, uh, to stay out of the limelight. On a similar vein, this one uh, is to you, Sean, from Graham Rendell. Have any of the other witnesses that saw possible UAPs from the bridge of CG59 with you in November 2004 contacted you to discuss their sightings since you appeared on Unidentified? And if not, would you like them to? Um, no, they haven't. Um, <clears throat> the the like them to part is only only if they're only if they want to. I would never. Uh, I would never ask anyone to come forward with anything that they weren't comfortable with because the the topic is so personal to most people. Um, I remember almost everyone that I was standing watch with, um, with the possible exception of the name of the young man that that was on the port bridge wing with me that actually witnessed it. Um, I do have my cruise book from, from uh, that, that time with all of our photographs and the, the whole crew and everybody in it. So I'm, I'm prepared and I know who everybody was. I, I, would, I would know them like the back of my hand. We spent hour upon an hour together talking about the most mundane things, trying to stay awake. Um, but uh, no, no one ever has. Uh, the captain of the ship was contacted at one point and basically gave a pretty hard no comment or, or stated that he didn't recall or something like that. You know, a pretty standard answer. I don't see any reason to, to chase down people who, who uh, aren't comfortable participating. I think that's how you've got to respect that privacy as well, especially, especially in this topic and its sensitivity and how it can come across. Um, Dan Warren asks, there's been an increasing amount of interest in UAPs originating from the oceans. Uh, when he sees a grey, they have some features commonly found on aquatic animals, big black eyes, emotionless expression, skinny skin. Do you think there could be an earthly aquatic species that is responsible for the technology we are seeing in our skies and oceans? For me, that's the bridge too far to speculate on. Um, life is ambiguous on this planet. It has eyes, it has skin, it has arms. Um, that's too much of a leap for me. Jeremy? I think, I think that with possibilities, sure, there's a possibility. What's the probability of it is, is different. Um, infinite possibilities and infinite universes. I, I personal belief. Um, I don't know what the answer is, and that's why I'm doing this. Um, if uh, if I could get the Osiris to submerge and and come back up, that would uh, that would help. But uh, without affecting the operating system. Yes, yes. Without, <laughs> I mean, right now I can't get the air to stop leaking, so it's uh, it's not going underwater and coming back out unscathed. At I, least underwater, it could be fireproof. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Enough, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so a uh, couple more questions uh, this one is for Sean during a recent interview you conveyed that Lou Elizondo and yourself gathered data while shooting for Unidentified down south that did not make the cut uh, they found it was compelling and it didn't air 
Um, is that footage owned by TTSA, a &E Network History, or is it something that we may still see the light of day? All, all footage uh, from those shoots and from Unidentified uh, are owned by a &E and History Channel. However, all of my um, my personal documentation, photos, videos, and, and uh, written notes from the investigation are mine. Um, I have spoken about those. Obviously, I've spoken about them because that's what we're referring to. Um, they're anecdotal experiences. Once again, they are they are um, you know firsthand accounts of witness statements that help provide the worldview, you know, help us provide a, a understanding of what people are encountering, especially when you're able to pour all that data in through the same sieve. But it, it's it a lot of it is not worth the the few minutes you might be able to put that into a program if there's no evidence to back it up. So I understand people want those stories, but they have to understand that at the same time, if we presented those, they would be more of the hyperbolic get your attention shocking type of reporting that we've, we've had a lot of that already. We've already heard people telling us there's really weird crud going on in the sea in regards to unidentified objects. So just saying that a bunch more, let's just say that the people down South are seeing it often, especially the fishermen that are out in remote areas. The, the how, the why, the who is what we're still trying to figure out. And if we go back to the Room 101 special, Sean, I believe you put in having only one source, which I would suggest people go back and listen to. And again, that would come from a story's great, a photograph or a video is great, but you need more than that. It has to be the sum of its parts for it to really stand the test of time and be worth putting on, especially TV time or airtime is precious. And I'm sure for what you guys are putting together as well, there will be things that don't make the cut just because what is the best thing we could put out? What's going to have the biggest impact? With all the folks, and I'll let Jeremy, or not let him, but I'd ask Jeremy to chime in on this in a second. But with all the folks that we have talked to, Jeremy and I have, have, have made it clear along the way that we are willing to take our acumen as report writers, as, as technical writers in Jeremy's case, and as narrative writers in my case, for investigations. We're willing to take that, that expertise that we have from our past and bring it into this in providing as real-time reports as much as we can. You know, whatever the episodes can't cover, we don't intend for that stuff to, to languish in a basement or on the cutting room floor, as they say. In some way, we want to try to get as much data to the people as possible. So after action reports, um, updates from the road, all of those things, um, we don't look at that as this as this constant cash grab or monetization thing. We look at it as how can we get as much information out as possible? Because we don't we don't want to repeat the sins of the past. Jeremy, did you want to come in on that one before I ask the, the final question? No, just uh well a, a little bit. I mean, the mechanisms are being thought through and the output devices that we that we present the world with this information are being mentally developed before being physically developed or coded uh but but like sean said uh you've, you've got two people and yeah I'm, I'm patting myself on the back but uh patting sean at the same time we can we can write we can write what we see we know how to put on paper what the data is that the devices collect or what the events are that our eyes see. And we know how to write them in a way that meets with jurisprudence. Does it mean that it is accurate? What it means is, is that it is accurate to us, 
being backed up by the telemetry data that we have recorded. Um, and then it is up to the world to be able to read the data, decipher it, and come to their own conclusions. And that may be put together through a, uh, a, a web portal that we publish uh, investigational reports on as we do the investigations before, during, or after the airing of a show. Uh, those, those processes are still in development, but the, uh, the ability to do it is, has been honed for several years. There were a lot more questions I could have asked as well. And thank you to everyone who got in touch. I will keep those for another time. I'm sure Jeremy and Sean will be back on sooner rather than later. But the one I want to finish on, uh, Mick Ashworth asked a question. Uh, he said it's the big one from him. What do you feel the agenda is of the phenomena? Are there many agendas? And do you believe they play a part or it plays a part in our lives in many different ways? Sean, I'm waiting for you to jump in on that one, brother. Well, I, I will say uh, we've, we've touched on it a couple of times that my personal feelings about the phenomena, air quotes, um, <clears throat> is that we're dealing with, uh, with uh, many different colliding vectors that may be utilizing a similar medium. Um, in that case, I, I usually divide it up into three categories. Um, I like to think of some of them as, as what I call beasties because there, there do seem to be small little sprite-like things that people report, especially uh, congruent with uh, wilderness areas and things like that. Then we can obviously move up into different phenomenon that involves uh, what many people would call simply uh, spacecraft or, or craft of some kind that people quote to encounter. And then there are people that have... Um, encounters in, in what we call in consciousness, whether they're meditating or whether they're entering or leaving a dream state or just going about a regular day-to-day -day activity out in the world. They have interactions with, with what they end up calling beings. And some people who are in a meditation state end up having interactions with things that they end up calling entities. Um, that's as close as I want to get to try to identifying anything that I can't take a photograph of, get an interview from, ask him what his email address is and hope to get him on the show next week. Um, th that's as close as I can get, but all of those things are not the same thing whatsoever. And, and what the people are each reporting across the spectrum of this alleged phenomenon, they're nowhere near each other. And most of the folks talk about the phenomenon as one thing, and it's usually the thing that they have experienced most profoundly. And, and I think that the question being asked is what the agenda is. I don't think that I can, I don't think anyone can ascribe an agenda to something that we have not yet defined what it actually is yet. Um, that would be like trying to ascribe an agenda to, to an unknown molecule or a, or, or a, new, a, a new life form that we don't even know how to study properly. Um, I'll get I'll get philosophical for a second. I mean, what's the agenda of the sea beyond lapping uh, onto the shore? I mean, maybe the rest of us need to walk down to the sea and dip our toes in what's coming up on the shore, and then ask the question again. Yeah. 
the chains of the sea, perhaps. No, I'm just dro- dropping it in there. It's an excellent. I think it's an. No, I. I think I'll go right to it. That's an excellent story, a short story in, in an anthology by Robert Silverberg. Uh, chains of the Sea is an excellent story that in 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 a lot of us talk about behind the scenes as being the best pan representation of the phenomena all in one place. It's a great story to read. Yep, available on eBay. Yep. Um, listen, gents, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I'd just like to give you the chance just to let people know how they can get in touch with yourselves, the project, and any kind of final words for the pod. Jeremy? Um, as far as the project is concerned, uh, follow us on Twitter at um, Unidentified UAP. That is the correct... Untitled UAP. Un- I'm sorry. Un- yeah, I'm getting mine confused with that. Untitled UAP on Twitter. Uh, my... my uh, Vet, vet it out with the producers and the producers can put you in contact with us. Awesome. Uh, Dan, any final words? Uh, just to say thank you. It was amazing. It's, it's lovely to finally talk to both of you guys. Dan, uh, you have contributed so much, brother. Oh, thank you thank for you. everything that you have done. It's, it's been incredible. Onwards Bye. and upwards. Uh, thanks, gents. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you again. It's been a really great time. You too. Really appreciate you, Andy. Take care. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad-free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was wet. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems and I think I should see therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.